Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness. And every week, I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by the activist, organizer, writer, and someone who I'm honored to call a very dear friend, Alicia Garza, where I ask her, why are domestic workers' rights essential? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I am so excited to welcome our friend back, which... I'm going to do like your official intro because it's gorgeous, like in a minute, because I just want to wait. It's Alicia Garza. Well, actually, now I am going to do it because it's too good to not do it right now. You're the principal at the Black Futures Lab. You are the strategy and partnerships director at the National Domestic Workers Alliance. You are also the co-creator of the Black Lives Matter Global Network. You also host a podcast called A Lady Don't Take No, and you co-host the podcast Sunstorm and your new book. The Purpose of Power, How We Come Together When We Fall Apart, comes out this month. And can I just say, can I get an advanced copy? Can I of get, course. it comes out on the, cause I, it comes out on the 20th, right? Yeah, it's on its way to you. Yeah, and I don't want everyone to be jealous because I do think this might come out next week. So, like, this probably will be, like, before it comes out. So I don't want y'all to be jealous. I do. <laughs> I'm, I want to read it so bad. I'm so proud of you and excited. And I just, I know just based on your work and having gotten to spend the time with you, I have spent so far. This book is going to be so important and I have chills on my triceps and I haven't even gotten to read it yet. So (laughs) I'm just so excited that you're here. And I'm also really excited to talk to you about your work at the National Domestic Workers Alliance. And I think that so many folks interact with, you know, a domestic worker, but don't even know what qualifies as that. Don't know how we can support those folks better. Those folks are also so commonly the folks who are most at harm and at risk by the current administration. Um, so I'm really curious about all that. Yeah. Also, I'm really curious about how you are and I love you so much. And I love you so much not, too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I guess just kind of starting at the top, what constitutes a domestic worker? Sure. Well, first of all, Jonathan, I'm so excited to see you. And, you know, I think it was a year ago now that we were together in... Oh God, Philly. where were we? That's right. That's right. Philly. Yeah. And there was a Netroots conference happening and I just fell in love with you then. And I'm still in love with you now. So that's all I want to say about that. Number two, let's talk about domestic work and domestic workers. So we actually all know what and who domestic workers are. The challenge here is that um, this is a profession that is literally seen as like somebody who's just a part of the family. It's not actually always seen as a profession. Domestic work is um, work that happens inside of our homes. So cleaning work, taking care of kids, taking care of seniors and elderly people, um, providing independence and supporting independence for people with disabilities. That is all work that happens inside of the home. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that that work is deeply undervalued, deeply underpaid, and completely unregulated. So domestic work really has its roots in the legacy of slavery. And it used to be the work that Black women did in white people's homes. So, um, you know, lots of folks uh, employed domestic workers under slavery. It wasn't employment, right? It was enslavement. So Black women, our roles were to um, help 
to reproduce the home. It was to make sure that the kids were getting fed. Uh, lots of domestic workers at that time breastfed other people's babies. Uh, it was the work that was necessary to keep food on the table, to maintain a household. And today the work is the same. And unfortunately, a lot of the conditions that originated under enslavement are still in this industry now. So um, people don't, a lot of people don't know that domestic work um, is one of the only professions, right? Domestic work and agricultural work that isn't covered by most federal labor protections. So that means so many domestic workers in this country don't have access to overtime, sick pay, sick days. Uh, and again, this has a lot to do with how this industry began. Now you can imagine, Jonathan, that during a pandemic, domestic workers have become incredibly, incredibly important. And yet we're still fighting for the same kinds of basic rights and dignity and respect that is needed. But at this time, right, when everybody is being forced to stay home in order to stay safe and stay healthy, domestic work is even more precarious than it was pre-pandemic. And for some people who are employing domestic workers, they weren't even sure if they should keep employing um, the people who are working for them. So a lot of domestic workers got fired suddenly, um, just told not to come back, uh, or they were asked to work under incredibly unsafe conditions. Some of this had to do with the fact that the president of this country was offering zero guidance about how people could keep themselves safe, but he was also offering zero guidance about you know, how to keep the people who keep our country running safe as well, and how to make sure that they can also take care of their families in a time that's so incredibly precarious. So that's why what we do at the Domestic Workers Alliance is so important. We fight for rights and dignity for, for people who work inside of our homes. These are largely women of color, Black women and immigrant women. And what we've done, honestly, Jonathan, is we've employed a strategy that really mirrors the strategy of uh, the same-sex marriage movement, where because, right, there were unequal and uneven laws all across the country, what they did was they actually started in states in order to build momentum for a federal bill. So to date, we've won a domestic worker bill of rights in at least 10 states across this nation. And that has all culminated in the introduction of a federal domestic worker bill of rights as of late last year. So we've been fighting at the federal level to, for the first time ever, ensure rights, dignity, and respect for domestic workers all over this country. And literally, it would be the first time that people who are working inside of our homes have standards in terms of what you have to pay people, standards in terms of uh, labor protections and all of those things. Uh, so that's a little bit about what we're up to. And, you know, I said earlier that domestic work is rooted in the legacy of slavery. And it means that the conditions that surround this industry are deeply tied to how this country has or has not valued Black women. Well, today, the industry is much more diverse. There's white ladies that are doing domestic work. There's a lot of immigrant women and women of color who are doing this work. And Black women are also still doing this work. But instead of uh, predominantly finding Black women as cleaners, right, or as nannies, you're mostly finding Black women concentrated in the public health industry. And in particular, 
uh, in the uh, caregiver uh, sector of this economy. So folks who are supporting people with illnesses, folks who are supporting people uh, who are elderly. And again, same standards apply, which is that there aren't really consistent standards. So Black women have been leading the charge around this fight for a very long time. And we're certainly at the center today of what it means to address a massive public health crisis, but also address the deep inequities in our in our society and in our economy that leave women, women of color, black women and immigrant women behind. Yeah. Well, not yes, but <laughs> I love how you're just able to like disseminate like a lot of information and a really like just incredibly direct and gorgeous. Well, it's not gorgeous, but it's really informative. And I appreciate that. Thank you. So I have a lot of questions. Excellent. So, so, so I was writing down like, I have a really good friend who actually used to be one of my beauty school instructors who then stopped mm-hmm. teaching beauty school and she got into the care industry and she yep. works at like a home for like developmentally mm-hmm. like disabled adults who need extra support. And so yep. they have like live in care there and there's like, you know, it's like probably like a six bedroom house and there's like, you know, two bedrooms for people that, you know, give care there all the time. And then for the folks that like, you know, are in like live there, like yeah. they live there. So based on what state you live in, is that what I hear you saying that like, if you're, so not only if you're employed by like a house, like, you know, it's like, if yeah. like, you know, you're going to a house, but also like, if, even if you work like this one place comes to mind from my hometown, like good Samaritan home, it's like where it's like a, like a old people yeah. home. Yeah. Um, like they, if the people there are like not getting paid overtime or if there's some like improper stuff happening, there's not like just some regulatory place that you get to go report that to. No, not really. And so that's what the work we do. Right. So first and foremost, we have to just acknowledge that this work requires such heart and love. I mean, this is not just work that like anybody can do, right? You have to really love people. You have to really know how to connect with people and you have to know how to build deep relationships with people who sometimes um, have a different way of communicating with you, right? This is like, intense work that people are doing. And this is work that they choose to do, right? Because they love their jobs. They love their work. They love the fact that they can be someone in someone else's life who that they, who they can depend on for care. And so imagine, right, that a person who would be sitting with your grandma so that she's not alone or somebody who would be sitting, you know, with a, a person with developmentally, uh, uh, different, right, tendencies and, and, and abilities, right, um, would have somebody that they could uh, relate to and who could support them being able to be independent. Imagine that those folks don't actually have consistent or clear rules around how their industry is regulated or not. Imagine that those folks don't have um, clear rules around how much you can pay people, how many hours people need to work before they either have breaks or get to have a meal or get to go home and spend time with their own families. Like imagine that the people who are caring for the folks that we care for the most don't have the things that they need to take care of themselves or their families. And yet every single day, what they do, even though they're not getting paid enough, even though they don't have benefits, even though they're not covered by most federal labor protections, that every single day they still go to work and still do the work that powers this entire country. So yeah, it's unbelievable that we wouldn't be caring for people who are caring for the folks we love the most, but that's part of what's wrong. And that's what we're fighting. 
And I, it's such an important fight. It's like, I think about hairdressing board of cosmetology. I think about like OSHA. I think about like a lot of different things that are meant to oversee. I think one scary thing that I ascertained from interviewing Aaron Brockovich a few weeks ago is that yeah. like her new book is like Superman's not coming. And essentially yeah. it's like a lot of the protective agencies that are kind of meant to be That's there true. to protect folks are actually end up getting run by people that like are trying to dismantle it or That's sweep right. stuff under the rug. Then I think about like wages and me being like someone who is like a business owner. Like yep. I know other folks who are in my position who like maybe don't provide health insurance like to anyone so that they yeah. don't have to do it for anyone. Like in my company, like literally like we all have a platinum plan. Yep. Like we're all there doing benefits. We're all doing like one thing I do feel like candidly I'm struggling with is like time off. Like yeah. if someone wants to work with me or something, like I'm kind of doing it. But at the same time, it's like when I feel like, like guilty for how much time we're working, like we're doing bonuses. Like we're like, I think That's about, right. and then like when I was self-employed doing hair, it's like, I did the same thing. Like if I was on my way home at 10 o'clock, but someone was like, can I get a partial highlight? I'm taking it night. <laughs> yes, I'll be right back. Like, because yes. I wanted the money. Like I needed it. Like I had shoes to buy, cats to feed, stuff to totally. do. Like, and so I kind of still feel like that now. And I do employ like, you know, I employ like six people, like at a full-time rated and we're doing insurance. It's like a thing. So, but I can't at the same time, like have like, we have a contract. Like, yeah. I agree. They agree. Like, it's a whole thing. Whereas, like, I think about, like, a cleaning lady or someone who's coming into your house. Like, there isn't the same. So much of what's been in the way of why we don't have an agency like this. I'm just guessing. But a lot of the people who have help at home, whether it's a cleaning lady or whatever, or a nanny or a mm -hmm. caregiver, mm -hmm. if you're rich enough to have someone like care for a sick member of your family because of our broken health system <laughs> or what I just feel like a lot of those people end up being Republican. And mm -hmm. then a lot of those people, and I'm not saying that all Democrats do too, because we learned from that one episode that Democrats can be super <laughs> problematic too. Yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> but, but it's like a lot of times those same people, it's like the, the ethos of Republicanism is like, how can I keep my money the longest? Like, That's how right. can I pay as least possible to like, cause under this thing of like, well, I did it myself. And, and under Elizabeth Warren's whole thing, it's like, we know that maybe you did do it a lot your own, but you also had a lot of help. And mm -hmm. so without rules, it's kind of rigged. And so we, you know, That's right. and so a lot of that help actually comes from the fact that there is someone supporting your wife or someone mm -hmm. supporting your kids or someone yep. doing something. And then a lot of times, like they're not getting overtime. How do we, if we have someone that helps us with our house, like, you know, once a week situation, how do we make sure they're okay? Mm -hmm. You know, like, cause even when they weren't like coming through the pandemic, I'm like, honey, we're paying you every week. Like we got to like, make sure that you're okay. Cause yep. like Jesus, but I'm sure there's yep. a lot of people that weren't fucking doing that. That's right. Then I just wrote down under the notes, like Republican women. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah. <laughs> um, so what do we do about them? Like, what do you do? Mm. So oh. I, I just, what are you up against? How can we all help better? How can we all be more authentic and culpable in our responsibility for how we're fucking up the system and maybe not doing as good as we need to be doing? Yep. These are all great questions. So let me start with a couple things. Number one, you mentioned Elizabeth Warren and I swear to God every day I'm like, damn, we could have had a bad bitch, but okay, let's move on. <laughs> <Right>? um, <laughs> number two, all of those questions you just laid out are questions that people are asking themselves all the time. So from an employer standpoint, from a worker standpoint. And that's the whole issue is that there's no, there's different rules for everybody. And that's not fair. And it has real impacts on people's lives. And it's not just impacts on workers' lives, it's impacts on employers' lives as well. 
And there are a lot of us who never even saw ourselves as employers, right? We're like, no, I had somebody clean my house, but I'm not like an employer. Um, I also run an organization, I employ 10 people. Um, I pay people at the top of the salary scale. People have platinum benefits. People get time off and then they get extra time off. And then during the pandemic, I was like, every Friday is a flex day because shit, I have single mothers on my team. I have mothers on my team. I have queer people on my team. Like people need space and time to like deal with themselves so that they can show up and actually do the job that they love to do. And they don't love to do their job. If when they go to their job, their job doesn't even think about, Hey, are you actually okay? Cause I know you're not a robot. <laughs> right? So, so there's all of that stuff. And I think the main thing that we're trying to intervene on right now across party, right? Because honestly, it's everybody. I mean, I have met liberal Democrats that like don't pay their workers. And I'm like, this is really terrible that you don't pay your workers, but it's because they don't see folks as workers. They're like, oh, this is just something you do. And that's the thing that I think is the vestige. What does that mean though? But that's the thing that's the vestige of enslavement, right? Because black women that were doing that work, people weren't looking at us like, oh, you're somebody who I employ and I pay you. They were like, this is just what you're supposed to do. Get me? Get me? But what but but what liberal Democrats are literally not paying the people that are help? Like, do you mean oh, like you'd be surprised? You'd be so surprised. Like, I can't spill all this tea on this show, but let me just tell you. It's we can edit it out later. But here's the main point. Here's the main point. There is something that you can do. There's a ton of things, and that's what we do at the Domestic Workers Alliance. So number one, um, it's important that those of us who bring people into our homes to do work that we would otherwise be doing, but we can't do because we have other things to do. It's important to see those people as workers and as people who have their own families and they are trying to support themselves. That is why you exchange a wage for work, right? So number one, pay your workers. Number two, we developed this thing at the Domestic Workers Alliance through our fair care labs called Aaliyah.org. And Aaliyah is basically a platform that if you are somebody who has a cleaner come to your home, who employs a nanny, this is a platform that you can pay into to make sure that your uh, the person that works with you in your home has access to benefits, has access to sick time off, right? And they have a little account that you can pay into. It could be $25 a month so that they actually bank up time. So because there's not all these rules, right, on the federal level, you can actually start to employ some of these rules in your own home and we make it really easy for you to do that. Also, I love that. Wait, I got it. That's that's genius. So basically, if you have someone because a lot of so there's a difference between like a W2 and then like a 1099, like a person who's like, you know, a full time employee and someone who might come like once or twice a week or whatever. So if you if you have that person who's like a once or twice a week queen or like someone who like runs an errand for you sometimes, but you're like, oh, my God, are you okay? Do you have insurance and stuff like what the fuck? Yep. Um, you can get them on Aaliyah and then you Mm -hmm. can put it in yourself like into that's right. And the cool thing is, right, that it's portable. So they can take that platform everywhere that they work. So say uh, the person works at my home and then they work at your home. You and I can both pay into this. Right. And so then if they're like, actually, I need to take a sick day off. You're like, you know what? Go ahead and do that. What do you have in your account? Right. So then they can draw from that account and not lose wages because their kids at home sick or maybe they got strep throat or God forbid, maybe they got the Rona. Mm. 
because I don't want you to come over if you have the Rona anyway. No, you sure don't. But these are the choices that workers are forced to make. They're forced, right? Because they can't continue to pay the bills if they don't work, they're forced to go to work sick. And you don't want that. And I don't want that. And this is the whole problem with people having different rules for everybody is that there's no consistent way that we can make sure that we're all safe and we're all good. So that's why we started to innovate on this. And we developed Aaliyah.org to help even the government think about this is what you need to be doing. But in the meantime, because we're not going to wait for you to do it, we're going to do it. And we have a model that you should be scaling nationwide. Okay, I can't wait to hear more about this. We're going to take a really quick break and then we'll be right back with more Lisi Garza after this. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. So, okay, I love the innovation. Um, I love this. So is it spelled like Aaliyah Aaliyah? Like everyone's favorite Aaliyah? Like, like A-L-I-Y? No, it's not A-L-I-Y-A-H. <laughs> but it is <laughs> A-L-I-A dot org. Love. Super okay, simple. love that. Mm-hmm. We're getting in there. Um, I'm writing it down just because that's really genius and so amazing. So one thing that I was also curious about. So like I have one friend who is like the friend of a friend. And that's how I found my domestic worker in New York who we're obsessed Mm -hmm. with. We love. She does it better than I could ever do it myself, which that's Mm -hmm. like hard to find someone who like actually and also like loves the cats and like just, you know, cares. And she's like just amazing. I'm obsessed with her. So then when I moved to Texas... I was like, I didn't know how to, like, I don't have any, I didn't have any friends here. I didn't know anybody. Whereas like, yeah. I knew everyone in New York. So yeah. like, like, you know, so then like I used like an agency for a week or two. And then I just, I just got this feeling. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is not a good feeling. And mm-hmm. also I could just like tell they were kind of like sad and like, they weren't like, and I have like four really cute cats. Like my cats yeah. are like above average yes. cuteness. <laughs> so if you're so stressed out that like, you don't even want to, like, look at Harry, Larry, mm-hmm. like, you don't even think they're cute at all. Yeah. And then I was like, this is just not good. So then I Googled and then I was like, oh, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, how, how can, how, how do people exploit people? Like, mm-hmm. how do agencies exploit people worse? Mm-hmm. Well, basically, the way that agencies exploit people, one major way is that they classify people as independent contractors rather than as employees. So what it means is that they can be on these platforms, right? And they can be accepting jobs, but they have to work a lot of jobs to be able to make enough money to take care of themselves and to provide themselves with benefits because the agency won't do it. Yeah. It's kind of like what Lyft and like Uber and like, you know, there's this big fight in California right now because they classify their workers wrong because they don't want to pay health care and benefits. So people be sick, you know, and of course, again, during the Rona here, people be sick, but you know, everybody needs a ride. And so then you'd be getting in a car and you're like, oh my God, I could be getting the Rona right now because <laughs> I happen to know for a fact that these folks are working to live right? And they don't have the ground underneath their feet to do so well. And that has a lot to do with the platforms that they're working on. I think the other way um, that agencies can exploit people, right, is by driving down the wage. And because folks are um, often classified as independent contractors, it's like um, you can almost be put in a position of having to work for like a commission as opposed to having a salaried job. Right. And so that can be very, very complicated as well. But the other thing that I think people should just know, right, is that 
two things. Number one, in response to this, there's a lot of groups around the country who are part of our alliance that actually have aggregated workers and they employ a, a more fair process. So here in San Francisco, for example, we have La Colectiva de Mujeres, right, which is the women's collective. And it's a bunch of domestic workers who have gotten together and they set wages for each other. So nobody works, right, <laughs> unless everybody is offering the same wage and oh, I love that. Consistent. So if you want to find folks that you can trust in your area, visit us at domesticworkers.org and you can find a list of our affiliates. And a lot of our affiliates around the country are employing the same kind of model where essentially the workers have gotten together to set the standards that the state won't set um, to make sure that everybody is well taken care of and to make sure that people are not being abused while they're going to work. So There's that. And then the second thing is you can advocate at the state level and at the federal level. And really, we might as well do it at the federal level because then it impacts all the states. You can advocate for there to be a domestic worker bill of rights so that companies can't take advantage of domestic workers and so that there's fair and even standards across the board. So you don't have to be like, oh my God, okay, well, I'm in California. We have a different set of rules here than you do in Texas, than you do in Wisconsin. It's just the same set of rules for everybody. That's what it should be. That's what justice and equality is all about. And speaking of which, you should just know, because I'm hoping we're going to talk about the election at some point. Um, Senator Kamala Harris is one of the, um, uh, she is one of the people who introduced this bill federally alongside Congresswoman uh, Pramila Jayapal. So, oh, I love her fighting for us every step love of the that. way. So what does the Domestic Workers Bill of Rights like say in it? Like, what is it? What does it say? Tell me about it. So one of the things that's important about the Domestic Worker Bill of Rights is that it sets standards across the board. It sets standards for wages. It sets standards for benefits. It sets standards for protections, like against sexual harassment and violence in the workplace. The very basic things that should have been set in place years and years and years ago. So basically what it does is it closes the loophole that... um, a really racist compromise um, that was made in 1930, right? During the New Deal, a racist compromise like kept all of this open. So it was like regulations for everybody except for black and brown workers. Yeah, domestic workers and agricultural workers got left out of this whole process because Southern lawmakers and union leaders were like, yeah, we're going to have rights and regulations for workers, but not these workers because they're not white workers. So it just closes those loopholes. And so- what are the things we're running into when we're trying to get it passed? Like, it's not feasible. How do we, like, determine who that is? What are the solutions? Who should we support? Well, what you do in this election cycle could open up so many opportunities for domestic workers. It's been an uphill battle, frankly, because we are dealing with an administration that honestly, like, doesn't believe in human rights, doesn't believe in any level of regulation, basically doesn't believe that, like, women are people or people of color are people. And that's a huge problem. It's a huge barrier to, like, changing any kind of rules or laws um, or making better laws or better rules for anyone. So if you really want to support what we're doing at the Domestic Workers Alliance. Number one, vote. (laughs) I can't even say it loud enough, like vote, 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 vote. It hella matters because the truth of the matter is 
you know, a bill, a federal bill needs to be passed by the, it needs to be introduced. It needs to be passed through the house and needs to be passed through the Senate. And right now, you know, control of the Senate is not on our side. And we had a wave right in 2018 where we elected more women of color than ever in the history of the house. Right. And we need to keep that momentum. It has real impacts for changing the lives of so many people. I know a lot of people think that voting doesn't matter, but I'm giving you an exact reason why it does. (laughs) If, If anybody in your family has ever cleaned homes or taken care of somebody else's kids or been abused or exploited in their workplace, maybe, you know, their, their employer was flirting with them or, you know, sexually harassing them, making it unsafe for them to do the job that they're needing to be paid for, or even if anybody you know has ever not been paid for putting in work, um, your vote totally matters. So if you want to help, number one, you can call your congressperson um, and let them know that you want to see the, the Domestic Worker Bill of Rights make become law. And the second thing you can do is vote so that we can change the balance of power in Congress and make sure that we're able to pass bigger and better laws that protect all of us. I feel like there's just a lot of people too, who even reading the title of this episode would think like, well, what, I don't really have anything to do with this. Like, I can't, like, what do I have to do with domestic workers? It's like, is there someone that comes to your house once a week, once a month? Do you have a family member who's in a nursing home? Like, really, there are, like, and when you think of it like that, like, a lot of people, like, have that in their lives. And so... And then it's like, and a lot of those, and I think it is really important to think about the difference between like an independent contractor and a W-2 employee, because fundamentally, like the way I have been described the difference is that like a W-2 employee is someone where you can say like, I need you there at 1030. I need you there till seven. Like it's more like exacting because, and if you are a W-2, like you are on the hook for providing health insurance, benefits, If you do it for one person in your company, you have to do it for everyone, which I think is part of the Affordable Care Act, which is amazing, which I love that story. And that's how it should be. That's right. Then a 1099 person is like, you're an independent contractor. Like you maybe have like lots of jobs. Like maybe you do this, but then you do that. Then you do the other thing. So like you're kind of on your own for all that stuff because you're going to go do your own thing. Yeah. So when it comes to people like Uber or that you brought that up earlier, which is so important, Mm -hmm. it's like maybe that person does do, maybe there is someone who is more 1099 and they do that here and there. But actually that's not really the case because uber i'm pretty sure says that you have to like isn't it true for uber drivers that like you have to do like x amount a week or you can't do it yep so that to me says like well you might not have to be there at seven in the morning but you at least have to do it enough that you've hit those 20 hours a week or whatever and what it all comes down to is like money and like overhead because if you have to provide health insurance benefits a month or retirement funds a month that is money off of your bottom line that people may or may not want to pay. So, but, but it's like, I just think that there's this misconception that like more regulations are like a headache and they're anti-business or like whatever. But we now have the system where like so many yeah. people are literally getting like abused and they're ending up in harm's way because like they are not afforded like PPE in the case of like an Uber driver. That's like right. they need masks. That's like right. they need sanitizer. We are That's like right. an, and actually I had a family member who like, <clears throat> and another thing, you know, speaking of COVID in the election, cause there isn't mm-hmm. like an even way that things are going through. That's did right. get exposed to someone who had COVID. <clears throat> My mom is really at risk. So this is another family member. And the doctor was telling them about, 
oh, well, you weren't in a car with them. And it's all about a car. And if you're in a car with them for like 10 to 20 minutes, that's where you really need to be worried. So that was like my working thesis with COVID for like from June to like now. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to get in a car. It's all about the car, Heidi. Like this one random doctor in a rural hospital said something about a car. And so now I'm scared of cars. So it's like, because like no one knows. It's like this rapidly evolving virus. No one really knows what the rules are because there isn't like a common consensus. But this idea of, you know, a domestic worker or a frontline worker, like it is a grocery store person is like a frontline worker now. An Uber driver is a frontline worker now. Those are literally keeping the wheels going. And but what that means is that someone's got to pay. That's like someone's going to have to pay for this stuff. And at the end of the day, like Uber has made a whole bunch of money. Um, A lot of tech companies have made a whole bunch of money. And with a lot of money and success, like you need to give that's you right. got to give back. That's and that's, right. I think it's also kind of human nature to like want to blame and to really be like mad as hell and like just fucking pissed. But then it's like, well, I'm such a small part in this. Like, what am I really going to do? But I think that's part of what I was trying to say earlier. And it's so cool that what you've done is you've actually used some of like that, Repu- like that Republican ingenuity of like, that's well, right. this shit's all unregulated. So let's like use this unregulation to actually help people with like yep. Aaliyah and with the Domestic Workers Alliance. And that's beautiful. So I'm kind of obsessed with that, that you've been yeah. able to. Isn't so that I, so I, cool? I think, <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, I had this took a turn. Yes, Aaliyah. But I wrote down it's like immigration because mm-hmm. that feels like this big separate thing where like if I'm thinking about domestic Workers Alliance, it's like, if you're, like, from the United States, like, have your whatever, like, based on what, isn't that such a dividing force for, like, the work that's going on? Because, like, they don't want to help dreamers. They don't want to, not you, I'm saying Republicans. So, because, like, I mean, I feel like California's kind of been cooler. So I feel like that would maybe help domestic workers more there, whether you're undocumented or not, because maybe you could get access to some of I'm just I, I have no clue for fact on this yeah. I'm literally opining just based mm-hmm. off what I know about the California legislature yep. but then if you're dealing with like an Arkansas or a Tennessee and you're like well I want to advocate for like people yeah. that maybe are undocumented and they're working in this but it's like they try to like make it illegal for the people trying to help the people that's in right. a lot of those places that's right that's right well let me say let's let's go back for a second because I think for people who are listening right now there's different entry points, right? Some people will be like, it's important to do because we should, we should be better to each other. Other people be like, I don't understand why I should care about this. That's not my problem. You know, I have a steady job, I'm salaried, whatever. But I want to make two points that I think kind of bring all these things together. So one, more and more people are actually gig workers, working freelance, right? And don't have access to the basic things that you need. And it's not just immigrant workers, right? There's a lot of white workers who are out here doing, you know, jobs that should be paying you more, frankly, but the way that they don't pay you more is that under the guise of like you being self-employed, right? It's like, okay, cool. Then you worry about your own health insurance and you worry about all your own stuff. And then when a pandemic hits, right, you'd be like, oh, this is deeply, deeply unfair because it is. There should be a system that everybody can basically be a part of where regardless of whether you make a million dollars a year or like $10,000 a year, that you have access to basic needs. So there's that. Second thing, though, is that here's the facts. 
everybody at some point in our lives is going to need care. And I can tell you right this minute that every eight seconds, somebody in this country turns 65 and doesn't have the things that they need to live well. I can tell you right now that most people who I talk to don't actually have a plan for what it means to get older. Don't have a contingency plan for what it means when you get sick. And there are more and more people in our country every single day who are what we call the sandwich generation, people who are taking care of aging parents and people who are taking care of kids all at the same time. And the fact of the matter is technology has made it so that we can't do everything. <laughs> we can't, but we're expected to do more and more. And when you have a crisis, right, is when you depend on somebody else to help the most. And frankly, we don't have enough people trained to do this work. We don't pay people well enough to do this work and to do it safely. And so we're all at risk here. And that cuts across income level, et cetera. There are very poor people right now who actually are doing, taking care of parents, taking care of kids and don't have any kind of net. And then there's middle income people who are taking care of parents, taking care of kids and can't actually afford to get the help they need but we all know we need it. <laughs> so at the end of the day, it's like a ticking time bomb. And the more we push it off, the worse it is. And unfortunately, we have a president and an administration who I think has made it cool not to care. And what that does is it pushes crises off until you can't push it off anymore. Just look at the Rona. I mean, literally, we walked into this um into this year with a president who basically said the Rona was a liberal hoax to steal the election. Then he got the damn Rona. Okay. And you know what? He had excellent care, but also he still has the Rona and all these people that he's been spreading the Rona to now have the Rona. So now we know it's not a liberal hoax to steal the election. Now we know that everybody is susceptible to it, whether you rich, poor, black, white, whatever, everybody has is, is susceptible to getting this plague, right? And because we've kicked care down the road farther and farther, and because you're right, there is an ethos in this country where people want to do it cheaper, people want to do it faster. That's where the whole immigration conversation comes in. I mean, people who don't like immigration should really want to change the economy because the economy is structured as such where literally it is like nobody wants to pay for work. Nobody wants to pay for workers. And so as a result, right, what happens is that we are driving an economy that is deeply unsustainable. So there's a lot of things we can do. But the first thing is, even if you like don't care about other people, but you only care about yourself, just know right? That at some point you're going to need care and we don't have the infrastructure to take care of you or for you to be able to access the care you're going to need. And then number two, you really should care about other people because we depend on each other to survive. The pandemic taught us that. So if one person is not safe, you're also not safe. And there's no other time in recent history that I can remember that that has been so deeply clear. I depend on grocery delivery. I depend on, you know, all levels of care. And let me tell you, since I'm in my house all the damn time, um, this house needs to be clean, child. So I have an interest in making sure that somebody can come in here and not spread the Rona around, but also not get it from me and spread it to their families. It's a big deal. So all of us need this at some point. So I would come into it from that perspective. We're going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back with more Alicia Garza after this. 
Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. That is a really good way to think about it, that we all have a vested interest because everyone is going to need help and support in this way at some point. I wrote down a lot of things as we were talking about that. One is the um, ACA and the Affordable Care Act. And that is one way in which some of those loopholes were closed in terms of employers and unfair benefits in unfair administration of health benefits to their employees. And it and it was a start that has been under threat ever since 45 one. So that's one one other thing to think about it. The other thing I wrote down is, is unions and unions are another thing that have been under threat and unions were another agency, even though it was imperfect of collective bargaining against like a corrupt corporation trying to take trying to ex- literally exploit workers, even though they let people out. That's, that's still true. a model where like that even that model of of trying to help workers is under attack from this administration. So that's two tools in which to help folks in anywhere around this realm have been under attack, which is really important to drive home the issue of voting. And the other thing I wrote down is is the social safety net or the lack thereof. And I, I literally, when I found out I had HIV, I had the resources to, frankly, lie, cheat, and steal to kind of, even though it's my own money, it's the story of my book, but like, I was able to like, kind of like fudge with this guy to like, get like some money that like my grandpa given to me, but I wasn't supposed to be able to use it. So I could like, mm-hmm. which was like the last four grand I was ever going to really be able to get from it as a result of that. But I did yeah. that so that I could get to the HIV social safety net of California. Yep. And I knew if I was going to get cut off from my family, I was like, well, I can at least, but I mean, if you get newly diagnosed with HIV in Missouri or Arkansas or Tennessee, and you can't find money to move to California, yeah, bye. And even now, since 2012, that social safety net in California has been worn back. So yep. there's so many ways that that we need to support each other more. But I think that a domestic bill, a domestic workers bill of rights. I just said that right, right? Yep, you did. Yeah, is such an important place for us to start because if we can come at it from a collective place and that we all have a vested interest, it's kind of like the wealth tax. Like if we all just like pitched in like two cents, like maybe not even on the dollar, just like two cents, period. Yeah. I bet we could totally sort this out and get like yeah. benefits and health. And like, I mean, if we all come at it together. That's right. Um, and just know that we do. It doesn't have to be a place of blame and frustration, um, but just we all do have a part to play in it, however big or small. That's absolutely right. You said it. Um, Boom. So <laughs> it's like it's like the end of it. But we didn't really get to talk about why this initiative is so important to you, which I only know about because I was like researching and watching your other interviews. Mm-hmm. But I should have fucking shared that with other people here. Do you want to share that in a little bit? But it's such a big story. <laughs> but it's like a... No, it's like the wrong point in the interview to talk about it. But no, you're, but you're okay. feeling okay. So it's okay. I mean, I'll just say that for me, um, the reason that I care about this so much is because my grandmother did domestic work for most of her, you know, adult life. My mom did domestic work when she was trying to figure out what it meant to have a child um, alone. And she didn't expect to have a child alone. And she got pregnant with me and she was in a relationship and she thought they were getting married and then um, things fell apart. And so there she was, you know, pregnant, getting ready to have a baby and all of a sudden having to reorient herself around how to do it alone. So my mom worked a million jobs and one of those jobs was domestic work. So to me, this is really the story of black women's power and resilience in this country. And what I know is that when we address um, this crisis, this crisis of care, that we're actually addressing the core issue that is impacting everybody across this country, rich, poor, white, black, you know, 
immigrant, citizen, whatever. Um, and also, frankly, um, I want us to be the heroes in our own stories. I mean, when I think about my mom and how hard she worked to be able to put a roof over my head, um, both when she was single and then, of course, when she remarried um, to my dad later, I think I always saw my mom as the superhero. She was always the person who was up late at night trying to figure out how to make everything work. And I also know that she had dreams of her own that she wasn't able to pursue. And I don't think she regretted that, you know, I mean, my mom was kind of a ride or die, but I do think that we should all have the choice to pursue our dreams when we're awake. And so that's why I do this work. Oh, that was really incredible. So touching love. Um, so your new book, the purpose of power, it's coming out so soon. So soon. Podcast, your podcast, honey, lady, don't, lady, don't take no and sunstorm, um, black futures lab. Where can people, those are some of the places, but where can people really do like listening now? And I know that they're still with us because you're just, people love listening to you where can people direct their time and energy to stick with you and all of the work that you're doing other oh. than what i just said yeah. well please 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 grab the book it's on pre-sale right now everywhere you get your books and it's called the purpose of power how we come together when we fall apart it is um my story right about how i came to become a change maker and what i love about this book is that um it pulls no punches, right? We talk about my story to help illuminate uh, the lessons that I've learned along the way, the things that I'm still learning and the things I'm unlearning. And the hope is that it inspires us, each of us, to find our own lane and help to create the change that we so desperately deserve. And I think I'll just give you a sneak peek of the secret of the book, which is that hashtags don't actually start movements. People do. And so this book is really for people who want to learn how you can become a person who is, helps to lift up and push forward a movement that um, is bent on changing all of our lives for the better. Uh, the purpose of power, pre-order it. Also on the pre-order note, I am pre-ordering it, but it still sent me one because I can't wait an entire week. I have I'm just, a like, really signed before. copy for you. Yes. I am going to pre-order it because we got to get those numbers. I know how pre-order numbers work. It's so yes. important. We are Thank supporting. You. We are doing it. Yes, put Thank one on you. my card. Put one on the company's card. We are doing yeah. two. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, and it comes out on audiobook too because, you know, we do it cute and I'm narrating. And yes, can I just share also that um, what's so cool about the audiobook about it is that um, it has a score and the score is being done by the one, the only Dwayne Wiggins from Tony, 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 award-winning producer, songwriter, all the things. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about it. So, you know, we just keep giving you gifts and gifts and gifts. So, you know, if you're not like a book, book reader, then get the audiobook and um, get some of this town business. You know what I mean? <laughs> there is no better way to end this interview. Elise Garza, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for all of your work and just for everything that you do. We love you so much. Oh, love you, love you. Thank Thank you so much for having me and more soon. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was activist, organizer, and writer, Alicia Garza. She's the Director of Strategy and Partnerships for the National Domestic Workers Alliance, the principal at the Black Futures Lab, and the co-creator of the Black Lives Matter Global Network. Her podcasts are Lady Don't Take No and Sunstorm. Her new book is The Purpose of Power, How We Come Together When We Fall Apart. 
You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curious with JVN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Our editor is Andrew Carson and our transcriptionist is Cassie Jerkins. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, Emily Bosick, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson.